Okay, we're going we're gonna to talk today about, about um, the believer's purpose, the purpose of the believer. I'll tell you what, before, before we do that, I do want to mention this, because there, there are others who say, I think this is where God's calling me. Uh, we will have a prospective members luncheon coming up soon, and I'll keep you notified about that. If you think, hey, I think this is where God wants us to be, I would encourage you after a church service, we will have that prospective members luncheon. You can come. Uh, find out more about the church, ask questions, um, and get answers to things, and then decide, hey, is this where the Lord wants me? Um, also, I see Gary and Shereen back there. They're part of the, the trip, too. I didn't see you earlier. I would have pointed you out. New members back there who are the Martins and the Millers are working together, making that uh, Israel trip happen next year. So you can see either one of those couples for additional information. So uh, we're talking about the believer's purpose. As we come into a relationship with Jesus, God, God gives us destiny and gives us purpose. And I know those are big words, but they're big things God wants to do in our lives. You say, well, you don't know where I came from. God does. It doesn't matter. I know not everyone was blessed to, to be raised in rugby and then hope. I know not everyone was, you know, had those privileges that I've had to be raised at finer educational facilities like Hauser High School. I get that. So you may look at me and say, oh, he's got an edge on everybody. But hey, God knows. God knows where all we've come from. And he uses us and calls us because he, he equips and enables us. And so I, I want you to be open to what God wants to do in your heart and your life. So we have a, a purpose. And we looked at last week that Jesus gave us some, some goals for the new year. He said this, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So if you wonder, I wonder what my goals should be for the year. And every year and every day, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Put Jesus as a priority in your life. And he doesn't say it's the only thing that you can seek. If this year you said, well, I had some goals to be healthier or to save some money for a family vacation or, you know, to get some more education, that's okay. It just says, doesn't say seek only, it says seek first. Those things become secondary in our lives. But God's all for you advancing your life. You can always pray about that and say, Lord, what's your vision for my life in these areas? But our, our main priority is to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And so then God gives these two missions to the church, two missions, uh, a mission, a commission, a, a goal, a, a purpose for the church. But you say, well, I thought we were talking about the believer's purpose, and now you're talking about the church. So I want to clarify that. And I think... Most of you probably know this, but it's good to be reminded of these things. When we talk about the church in a spiritual sense, and when we talk about the church as the Bible sees the word church, it is the believers and followers of Jesus. We are the church. In fact, when you read things in the New Testament, if you think of church only as a physical structure, there's some verses in the New Testament that will be confusing. There's a verse that says, greet the church that meets at so-and-so's house. You'd be going... How do you greet the church if we think of it as a building? Now, I know in our culture, we call this building a church, and that's fine. I'm never going to change that. You're not going to change that. If, I, if we were talking on the phone and said, hey, let's meet at the church, you would, you would know what we were talking about, meeting at this physical building. But as far as the spiritual concept is of the church and the biblical concept of the church, it is the people of God. We are the church. So when I say believers have a purpose and I say the church has a mission, those things go together. We're supposed to hit the mark. We're supposed to be on target. We're supposed, to, we're supposed to accomplish what God has called us to accomplish. And I am totally convinced that I know that we live in such a 
uh, a world that communicates so clearly, and there's so much information that comes as, we think about having destiny and purpose, we think about something huge, because you can't help but turn on the TV and find somebody who has some kind of global influence or some kind of global impact, and then you think, well, I don't have a global impact, that's okay. You, you can have whatever impact in whatever sphere you have. In, in the church I was raised in, we used to sing this hymn, and I can't remember the name of the hymn at the moment, but there's a line in it, and it said, uh, you win the one next to you, and I'll win the one next to me. And in no time at all, we'll have them all. Just win them, win them one by one. And so it was to have a global impact, we have an impact just in our, in our area. There's some bumper sticker I used to see, and I don't even know what was advertising, but I, thought, I always thought about spiritually. It said, um, it said something like, act locally, think globally. Now, I don't know what it was promoting, so forgive me if that was something bad. I just know this. I always thought about that. Yeah, that's the mission of the church. We act locally in our lives, but we think globally. This is the whole global mission for, for the church. So, but I want to define, I want us to see clearly from Scripture who the church is, what the church is, so we understand this, because I believe everything that we believe should be based on Scripture, based on the Bible. And so when we talk about the church, if you said, boy, I didn't know that the church wasn't a building, but it's so important that we know this, because if we don't know that we're the church, we'll be thinking that some mysterious organization or entity is going to go out there and change the world. As far as I know, this physical building's never gone anywhere. I don't think it's ever gone out and said to itself as a building, hey, let's go share Christ at the mall. You know, it, it hasn't happened. It's, it's a building. But we are the church. But if we're not careful, we say, well, the, the leaders, they're the church. Or, or the, the organization is the church. But let's see what the scripture says in Ephesians chapter 1, 22 through 23. And God placed all things under his, Jesus' feet. And appointed him, Jesus, to be head over everything for the, and there the word shows up, for the church. Now, quite frankly, when we're done with this verse, we're still not going to have a great understanding of what the church is. But it begins to show us something. That he is to be head over everything for the church, and then explains what the church is, which is his body. The church is the body of Jesus. The fullness of him, of Jesus, who fills everything, in every way. But we get to that and say, okay, I'm still not really sure I get how I'm part of that. Well, the same guy that wrote to the Ephesians writes to a group of people called the Corinthians, and he writes these words, helps us bridge the understanding together, 1 Corinthians 12, 27. Now, you are the body of Christ. Now, if we link that together, the church is his body, Jesus' body, the body of Christ, and now it says, now, you are, are the body of Christ. If you're a follower of Jesus, now if you're just somebody says, I don't really care that much for Jesus, but I thought it would come today or I got invited, uh, well, I want to encourage you to step into the body, step into the family, step into relationship with Jesus. And it says, when that happens, now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you, did you all hear that? Each one of you is a part of it. Each one of you is a part of it. So it's not just the the elders or the pastor or staff leaders or an organization or an entity or a building. It's you all, me, you, all of us together. We are the church. And if we don't understand that, then we don't end up fulfilling all the destiny that God has in us. In fact, we often can get 
um, critical of the church as an organization, but we're not so much talking about organization, we're talking about us. We, we are the church. You know, I, I, I think we have a friendly church, but people who have fellowship in a place always think it's friendly, okay? So I, I hope we're a friendly church, I believe we are. But let's say that four of you couples went out after service, and you've been coming for a long time, and you're sitting down for lunch today, and you're saying, you know what, said, Crossroads just isn't friendly. Crossroads should be friendly. I wonder when they're going to be friendly. I wonder what's going to happen. I wonder who, you know, I just can't keep going to a church that isn't friendly. It needs to be more friendly. Why aren't the leaders? Why is the organization? Why isn't it being friendly? But guess what would happen if you changed the way you think? Let's say four of you couples, total of eight, are sitting down having lunch, talking about the church not being friendly, and you say, we just found out today that we're the church. So if we're saying the church isn't friendly, that means we're not being friendly. And so next week, we're going to show up 10 minutes early. First of all, there's first miracle right there. You know, we're going to show up 10 minutes early, and uh, we're going to show up 10 minutes early, and we're just going to be friendly. We're going to be friendly. Guess what would happen? Can you imagine? I mean, it's not like we're a mega church, you know, with, with 30,000 square feet in here. So what would eight people being friendly do to change the whole atmosphere of an organization? Yeah, absolutely. So we are the church. So there's not some mysterious entity that's going to do it. We are the church. Why isn't the church leading more people to Jesus? Guess what? We're the church. So we need to go out and do it. Now, I want to show you this from the concept of organization versus the concept of our personal responsibility. Back many, many years ago, we had a program, short-lived program, and we just call it like deacons in training. We were looking for some more deacons, but we thought it'd be a good place for people to try that service and figure out this isn't for me. Or they could, we could see, well, I don't think this is your calling. And so there's this one particular person, and they were in the deacon, deacons for training, trying out the, the ministry, seeing if this is something they felt they were called to. And they called me up one day, and they said, hey, I want to step down and resign out of the deacons for training program. And I said, okay, why? And they said, because... I want to minister to people, but the church is hindering me from doing that. I said, okay. I said, what, what happened? Give me an illustration. I said, well, there's a person in our neighborhood that I've met a few times, and a family, and the dad passed away. And he called the church and said, I would like for you to send flowers to this funeral home for this family. And we had a secretary at that time. The secretary found out that no one even knew who this person was. Now, I, I get this. We still love people, right? But we don't have a bottomless flower fund. So he said, really, the flower fund's for people who are church members that we can send to the funeral home. And it aggravated and upset the person. So they said, I wanted to minister, but you guys wouldn't let me. You guys didn't help. You guys didn't facilitate. The organization should have been part of this ministry. So I said, so your heart and your passion was to minister to this family, right? Absolutely. I said, okay, let me ask you a couple of questions. Did you go to the funeral? Mm, no. Did you go to the showing? Uh-uh. Did you make a cake or a casserole, go knock on the door and say, I'm so sorry for your loss and I'm here for you? No. Did you uh, think, I'll... You know, if the church won't buy him flowers, I'll buy him flowers myself. No. Did you take time to write a card and say, so sorry for your loss. We love you. We're praying for you. We're down the street if you need. No. I said, okay. 
you didn't really want to minister. What you wanted to do was have a certain sense of power. I called, asked them to order something. They said no. That offended me. We, you can minister whether the church buys flowers for somebody or not. You can love on people. You can care for people. There will always be opportunities to care for people. And so God calls us to actually minister. Now, honestly, had the person said yes to all those things, I would have said, yeah, they really did want to minister. And it was a wonderful teaching moment for, for him, and, and then we excommunicated him from the church. And it was a, it was a, we, we did not. We did not. I always feel sorry for guests who are here who always think, what is up with this? No, we, we uh, loved on him. He was here for many years after that and actually went on to plant a church and, um, out, out west. So, but we, we learned these life lessons, and so we are the church. We can do things. We don't have to wait for the organization. If you have a, a desire to share Jesus, you do not have to say, when is Crossroads going to have an evangelism outreach team? When is Crossroads going to finally put us all on a bus and drive us somewhere to go share Jesus? Guess what? You can go share Jesus every day as often as you want. Nobody's stopping you from doing that. And I actually think it's somewhat of a hindrance to, not crossroads, to the church at large when we think the organization has to do it all and God causes us to do stuff. You can pray, you can love, you can serve. So we have these missions. we got these two missions for the church. And since we are the church, they're our missions too. And so we want to see what they are. The, The churchy terms for these are the Great Commission, and the great commandment. Those are the two churchy terms. So we're going we're gonna to look at first the great commission. Then Jesus came to them and said, this is the resurrected Jesus. He has God Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, clothed himself in a human body. You'll find this in John, the Gospel of John chapter 1. He lived a sinless life. He lived the life we should have lived but we weren't capable of. He died the death that we deserved to pay for our sins. And to prove he was who he said he was, he rose from the dead, showing that when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes unto the Father but by me, he's earned the right to say that. He's creator of heaven and earth, humbled himself in a human body, died the death we deserved, rose from the dead to give us eternal life. So he proved who he was. And the resurrected Jesus meets up with the disciples and says this, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go. Now, it is implied, not just, I have authority, hip, hip, hooray for me. You slugs go out there and try to figure it out however you can. No, he says, I've been given all authority. I'm passing it along to you, which is Jesus' pattern. We see that. Remember, he got the 12, and he gave them authority to go minister. He got 70 people, and he said, I'm going to give you authority. I'm going to give you authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means harm you. And he said, go out and heal the sick, raise the dead, cure leprosy, cast out demons, and declare the kingdom of heaven is among you. And so he gave authority, and here he's given authority too. He says, therefore, go and make disciples. I want you to see that word, make disciples. Don't lose that. We'll come back to that. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them, this is discipleship, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, in the world of Christianity, there's stuff called conversions or converts. Converts are wonderful. What's a convert? 
You shared the beautiful message of the gospel of Jesus with somebody. You let them know that, you know what, Jesus is a wonderful Savior. You need Jesus as your Savior. And they say, you know what, I think you're right. I need Jesus. You pray with them. They give their life to Jesus. This is such a big deal that the Bible says heaven rejoices. Heaven rejoices when a person gives their life to Jesus. So heaven rejoices, and they're what's called a convert. But Jesus told these disciples, I don't want just converts, I want disciples. So I want you to teach and train and equip people for the ministry. So I thought, let's, let's define what a disciple is. Just, just a, a regular old dictionary's definition of a disciple. Let's look at that. Next slide, please. It says disciple. A disciple is one who accepts and assists in spreading the doctrines of another, such as in Christianity. Now, you could be a disciple of Jesus. You could be a disciple of of Dr. Phil. You could be a disciple of uh, Charles Darwin. You could be a disciple of all kinds of people because it's just saying, I accept what they teach and I assist in spreading what they teach. Well, in Christianity, we accept the teachings, the doctrines of Christianity, and we assist in spreading those. That's what a disciple is. You know, a week or two ago, we talked about how Paul and the writer of Hebrews said, you ought to be assisting, but you're not because you're still on milk. You ought to be able to take some more solid food. You ought to be able to help out in the ministry, but I have to keep bottle feeding you over and over and over again. They said, that's not right. We need to grow up. So disciples are people who are growing up understanding what they believe, why they believe, and passing that information along. Now, that's called the Great Commission. Now, I want us to talk about the Great Commandment. Jesus was masterful at answering questions. Everybody was always trying to trick him. He was just too sharp for them. They've been trying to trick Jesus. If you read this in context in Matthew 22, a teacher of the law says everybody else is failing at tricking Jesus, but I won't. I have a question for him. And so they're asking a question to trip him up. And he says, teacher, which is the greatest commandment of the law? The Bible does not say this. I just picture the person smirking a little, saying, I know I've got you here. Because whatever you say, I'll make an argument out of it. And so Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Well, there's no argument for that. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commands. I thought about that one day, I thought, really? And so I started to think about that. If we love God passionately, and we love people like we love ourselves, yeah, it answers everything. It solves it all. The message of love. In the book of Matthew, the great commandment comes before the great commission. Because I believe the more I love God, the more I love people, the more I am apt to want to share Jesus with them and the good news of Jesus. So understanding the love we should have for God and for one another is paramount in launching us into sharing our faith and making disciples. Now, It's a big order to say, I want you to love God with everything you've got, and I want you to love others like you love yourself. It's a big order that we have the capacity to do only by the Holy Spirit. You will not do it in yourself. I I just don't love people like I love me. And 
you probably don't love people like you love yourself. But the Holy Spirit can help us. In Romans 5, 5, it says the love of God has been shed abroad or poured out in our hearts. We were on a trip one time, and the person who was leading the trip, uh, Darlene and I and the family, was Greek. And she had her Greek Bible, and she loved the Lord. And on, I never forgot this, on Romans 5, 5, she says, because our New Testament was translated primarily out of Greek, so she's looking at the original language. And she says, most of your Bibles say the love of God was poured into your hearts, or the love of God has been shed abroad in your hearts. But she said, really, the best Greek translation is this. The love of God has been exploded in your hearts by the Holy Spirit. I never forgot that. Ooh, I like, I like that visual image, exploded. The love of God, I mean, just uh, it got grenaded in your heart and exploded in you, the love of God. And so we need this love of God. And we need the love of God to share with people and to teach people and to help people grow in the things of God. So we have some assignments. The first one we saw last week is that we're to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So I want to encourage you. I said one of the things we can do is when we wake up in the morning, first just pray. Just, it doesn't have to be an hour in prayer or ten minutes or even two minutes in prayer. You can just open up your eyes in the morning and say, Lord, I'm yours, you're mine. I want you to be first in my life today. Now, this is crazy because I was really in a great habit of doing that. And I have struggled with that all week long. I'll find myself 15 minutes into my day going, oh, yeah, Lord, I'm yours, you're mine. And so if you say, I've been struggling with that for a little bit too this week, well, join the crowd. I'm happy that you're struggling. Let me tell you what I'm not happy about. Those who are saying, I don't even remember we were supposed to do that. Okay, so if you, if I'll remind you of that. And we can open up our eyes and just say, Lord, I'm yours. This, help me to glorify you today, however you want to say it. And that just kind of helps us get our focus first thing towards that. The other assignment is to love God deeply and love others like we love ourselves. It will take the love of God exploded in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, Romans 5, 5, to bring that to pass. And then we are to share our faith and produce disciples. So today, this is a great place, this is a great time to be discipled. That's why I would encourage you to, and I know we all learn differently, but I would encourage you to really follow along. Maybe you need to take pictures of something. I see smart devices come out and take pictures. Maybe you need to jot things down. Whatever it Whatever it takes for you to say, I want to really learn this stuff. I don't want to, you to preach this message again a year from now and say, I don't think I ever heard that before. You know, we should be learning and becoming disciples. Because when we say, I've never heard that before, that's just like what Paul and Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews said, I've got to teach you all over again. And so we're growing and we're developing together. And, and that's okay. We're just all growing. Now, in the process of sharing your faith and loving people and, and wanting them to know about the beauty of Jesus, not everyone's going to be excited about your message of Jesus. That's okay. I don't know if you notice this. Not everybody was excited about Jesus himself. Many were, many were not. I mean, you find this all throughout the, new, all throughout the Gospels, and they spoke of killing him. They spoke of stoning him. They spoke of, so it's not like, I just don't know, I'm so, I love Jesus so much, I just don't know why they're not excited about Jesus. Well, Jesus couldn't even get them excited about himself, some people. So that's okay. 
But what you will find out is in the culture, and it's always been this way, we have a tendency to say, boy, the world's never been like it is now. The world has always struggled with all these things. It may be a different dress code. It may be a different struggle at the moment, but there's always been a struggle. No one likes to be confronted with their sin. I don't like to be confronted with my sin. You don't like to be confronted with your sin. People don't like to be confronted with their sin. But part of the message is we realize I need to look at my life and see, am I living in a way that pleases the Lord? Now, I am big on this. I don't think I should look at my life to shame myself or discourage myself or to want to quit. I want to evaluate myself so I can be better. It's such a, we're such a sports crazy world, but, but the analogy, I don't think people who really are going after improving in sports or in academics just say, wow, I did bad on that test, so I might as well just quit. I'm never going to study again. I'm never going to learn again. No, they, they learn and change their ways. The same way in athletics or in any endeavor in life, we learn, we grow, we change, and we develop. So we don't shame ourselves and quit, we just develop ourselves. So, as you begin to share your faith, you will find some people that they really don't want to hear that anything they're doing is sin. Don't be mad at them because you don't like hearing that either. They don't like hearing that they need a Savior. Do you know some people find that very offensive? You're saying, I need a Savior? You're saying I'm some kind of bad person? You're saying I need... God? That's crazy talk. Well, the world hasn't changed. It's always been that way. A guy named Paul wrote a big part of the New Testament, training a young apprentice, Timothy, and he tells him in 2 Timothy 4.3, in 2 Timothy 4.3, he says, Timothy, just be aware of this. There's coming a time when people will not adhere to wholesome teaching. They will not adhere to sound advice. They will heap up to themselves teachers Having itching ears, they will find themselves teachers that will tell them what they want to hear. So, you go visit a church and the pastor says, you know what? We must no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died for us and rose again. I'm not going back there. Okay? We look at the scripture. Somebody says, you know what? We need to take up our cross and follow Jesus. Okay, not going back there. Uh, you know what? We need to say no to sin and yes to God. Not interested in that. And then finally, ah. Oh, I found my teacher. This one says, God is a big bowl of jelly love. And just live however you want, do whatever you want, any way you want, and he just loves you and accepts you and celebrates you and cheers you. That's not the message of the Bible. In fact, it's not even their own message in your own heart. We don't think like that. We only think like that towards us, not towards others. I'm always interested in, if you've ever watched a show where somebody's had an atrocity happen to them, the same people who believe that God should just be love, he should never judge, he should never correct, he should never do anything. When something bad happens to them, very serious about this, I've seen them say this on TV, said, that person who wronged me, I hope they burn in hell. And you go, wow, they meant that. You could tell by just their voice change. What happened? I thought we didn't want a God who judged. Well, we don't want a God to judge me, but we do want a God to judge them. And we have to be careful because God, first of all, guess what he is? He really is love. He really is, does radiate and ooze love. And he loves us enough to tell us the truth. I went to a doctor um, a couple months ago, 
paid him $250 to tell me I need to lose some weight. <laughs> Jerk. And then he told me, you need to get back to exercising. Well, mind your own business. And then he told me, your cholesterol's a little high, and this is a little here, and here's what I want you to do. Now, I could have said, I'm going to find a doctor. Then when I walk in, they just look at me and say, Tracy, you are the perfect specimen of physical fitness. I like you. I'm not going to run any tests. I can just look at you and tell you are, you are top notch. And I'm only going to charge you $75 to tell you you're in great shape. But guess what? That doctor was just telling me the hard truth. And sometimes we need to hear the hard truth. And I, I, have a, I have set a goal for January 1st, 2024, to really get in shape and to really, really deal with this stuff in my life. Okay, anyway, moving on. <laughs> You'll believe it with me. Thank you. <laughs> so, we, truth sometimes needs to be told. I want to tell somebody, you're on the wrong road, going the wrong way, and you're not going to end up where you want to end up. I don't think that's mean. I want to tell somebody, the bridge is out ahead. I want to tell somebody, I'll tell you what, that's, that's a bad idea. So, anyway. So, the favorite verse of all of us, if we feel like we're being judged, and especially in the world, I don't care if nobody's ever been in church before, they know this Bible verse. You say something they don't like, what do they say? Well, don't judge me. The Bible says don't judge First of all, they don't know what nothing else the Bible says, but they know it says don't judge. Don't judge. So I, I got a buddy, and I really do love the guy, but uh, he says Jesus never judged. Jesus never imposed his beliefs on people. And we know each other well enough. They said, that's not true. And so I list dozens of things in Scripture where, guess what? Jesus imposed his beliefs on people. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one gets to the Father but by me. Sounds a little judgy to me. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not see heaven. Sounds a little judgy to all kinds of people there. What's he telling? Truth. Truth based in love. If you're a parent, you've told your kids stuff they didn't want to hear, but you told them that because you love them. Young people, contrary to popular belief, most parents aren't out there just trying to ruin your life. Okay? Just want you to know that. I remember one of our kids one time said, it's just so hard around here. And I said, it is, I admit it. I said, here's our basic rules here. Don't do anything criminal. Uh, show up at curfew. Um, come to church with us on Sunday. And uh, pick up after yourself every now and then, if you would, please. I said, it's like a Nazi concentration camp around here. This is horrible, you know. And most of the advice parents give their kids is because we love our children and we want them to be safe and healthy and whole and have a wonderful life. So, since you're going to be told uh, you should never judge and Jesus never judged, which is not true, and Jesus never imposed his beliefs, which is not true. I mean, it's pretty imposing, Sam, the way, the truth, and life, and no man comes into the Father but by me. I want to teach a message next week. Next week, we are going to have a teaching 101 on how to judge people. 
That's a gospel truth, what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about how to judge people and how to judge situations. Now you say, there's the problem with the church. We're all being judgy. No, there's righteous judgment. There's wholesome judgment. There's good judgment. There's, you should judge things. Well, I'm sorry, Pastor, I can never judge anything. I'm not a judger. I will never judge. You'll never convince me to judge. Okay, well, I've got some questions for you. Someone is sex trafficking people. Is that okay? Well, that's a little judgy. Yeah, but the person who's sex trafficking them says they really love the Lord. Do they really love the Lord? How dare you? Apparently, you have the total ability to judge righteously and rightly circumstances and situations. Now, I do understand that's far different than a lot of the judgment that goes on. This is not right judgment. I cannot believe she wore that today. When Tracy said he needed to lose a little weight, I thought, you sure the doctor didn't say a lot of weight? You know, okay. We're not talking about that kind of judgment. We're talking about righteous judgment, wholesome judgment, loving judgment. And the Bible actually teaches us how to do that in a right way. And so if, if this is all confusing to you, just join us next week. We're going to talk about this. And I want to, want to give you a verse on it, 1 Corinthians 6, 1 through 3. This will actually help us love God, love others, and fulfill the Great Commission and the Great Commandment. 1 Corinthians 6, 1 through 3. In case you've never seen this, there's more to the Bible than just one single verse. And also, we could take time to explain that one single verse, don't judge lest you be judged, and the measure you judge will be measured back to you. That's true, and we'll deal with that. Here's 1 Corinthians 6, 1 through 3. If any of you has a dispute with one another, do you dare to take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the Lord's people? You know what he's saying? The Lord's people should be the one to judge these things, not the ungodly. Or do you not know that the Lord's people will judge the world? Or do you not know that the Lord's people will judge the world? And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more the things of this life? You and I are called to righteous wholesome, biblical, loving judgment. You just read it here in the scripture. And again, you say, well, I don't think I could ever... Okay, I'm going to give you a couple more, see if you can judge. A scam artist is robbing retirees of their life savings. Is that wrong? A scam artist is robbing retirees of their life savings. Is, do we say, oh, you know, I don't really want to judge them? No, we'd say, no. That's wrong. Is, is that sinful? Yeah. Some of you, I'm not sure you know. You're going, I don't know. Yeah, yes, it's, that's sinful. That's wrong. It's wrong. How about an employer that knows one of their employees is desperate to keep a job, and they take advantage of them and pay them less than they pay other people because they know they're desperate? Is that wrong? Yes, that's wrong. We should be able to judge that and say, this is not right. This is not good. This is not wholesome. Somebody refuses to serve someone in a, in a business because they have a different nationality. Is that wrong? Yeah, sure it is. It's sinful. It's wrong. 
So we all judge all the time. The question is, can we learn to judge rightly? Can we learn to judge righteously? Can we learn to judge in such a way that's oozing with love? The rich young ruler came to Jesus and said, what must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus said, keep the commandments. And the rich young ruler said, all these I've kept since my youth. And Jesus did not argue with him, say, liar, you have not. He said, all these commandments I've kept since my youth. He said, there's one thing you're lacking. This is kind of my paraphrase. You are in love with money. So go give your money away, sell all you have, give it to the poor, come follow me, and you'll have eternal life. And the Bible says that the rich young ruler went away sad because he had great wealth. And the Bible also records in that story these words, Jesus loved him. Jesus loved him. He loved him. He told the truth to him in love. So, we are capable of judging rightly, and we are capable of judging justly, and that's the goal of judging. And the goal of judging is to produce life for people. Not death, but life for people. I want to tell somebody who's a sex trafficker, who thinks they love Jesus and are going to heaven, this is not the right way to live. And I'm not going to accept if they tell me, well, the Bible says don't judge, you shouldn't judge me, you don't know why I'm doing all this stuff, I don't know why you're doing all that stuff, that's for sure, and you should cease and desist immediately and give your life to Jesus and be transformed. Like John Newton, the slave, the captain of a slave ship, who one day said, this is wrong. This is sin. I can no longer justify my lucrative business. It's wrong. And he gave his life to Jesus. Probably cost him great fortune to do that. And then, in case you go, who's John Newton? He's the one that penned the, the song, Amazing Grace. Hmm. He said, that's wrong. It's sin. I need Jesus. I need to change. And he did. It's a beautiful story.